where do we start with the Habs? I mean, I know we're jumping right into it. I know most episodes we we make a point or two, bring up some social issue or something. But I mean, this is this is so you just take your skivvies off and jump right in. Well, the 2015 regular season was defined by the league's best goalie, and then the off season was defined by one of the league's best defensemen. So I guess the question is, what's going to define the Habs in, in the coming season? Because <laughs> that's the that's the question that that we're all wondering. We the 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 league's oldest, most highest paid defenseman. Yeah, yeah. There's that. <laughs> that might define it. Well, we all know what happened with PK in the off season, and we'll get to that. Even though we did spend an entire podcast, you know, or at least a third of it, discussing that, but. I'd actually, I'd, I'd like to not get too deep into the PK Weber thing. You know what I mean? We've, like you said, we've done that and it, it's been well documented and talked about. Like, we're really trying to look at this team in scope. So it'd be in our best interest to not get too deep into that because that could, you get, get my gears going. I can talk about that for an hour and a half. So let's just look into the Canadians fans crystal ball and let's just assume that Carey Price is healthy. Let's say that Shea Weber scores at a higher clip than P.K. Subban did, which I think he probably will, at least in his first season, just in terms of goals scored. And let's just say that the top six elevates itself and whatever off-ice transgressions that were, you know, the hang-up of the Montreal Canadiens last season gets behind them and they start, start scoring, much in the same way that they did at the beginning of last season, and let's say that the Canadians make the playoffs and mm-hmm. Bergevin and Terrien and everybody that seems to, to back what's going on there says, hey, I told you so. Does that really justify what this team has done? And how is this team set up long term? No. It's a simple no. <laughs> no. Pretty simple no. You know, because... Okay, let me let me let me let me come in with this. What's damning to me, and not damning of PK Subban, and I know I said we wouldn't get into this, but I just read an interview. It was just yesterday. It was with Brennan Gallagher, and you got guys like Gallagher and Pacioretty, who no doubt make up the emotional and physical core of this team. You know, those are those are two of your leaders on the forward end of the ice, and they're saying stuff like. I think Gallagher's quote was, well, you see all the guys in the Western Conference that have tweeted publicly, you know, how happy they are to see Shea Weber go and that that that, that he's not going to be in the same conference. Right. I mean, dissect that comment for a minute. It's just you really think Pacioretty, guys like Pacioretty and Gallagher are glad to see a guy like P.K. Subban go? Like, like that's the only thing they, that's I think that's the only defense you can have of that trade if you're a guy in that locker room. When the Montreal hockey media is crazy and like, you know, they're going to be asked about it all year. Like, what if Weber fucks up and Weber's not like just, you know, falls off a cliff, which I don't think he will. Like, no one's ever said he was shitty. Just he's not P.K. Subban. He's not as young. Doesn't have as much upside. That's all anybody's ever said. No one's denigrated Shea Weber. But like when that's their only response is like, oh, the Western Conference was glad to see him go. It's like, what does that mean? Montreal is an entirely different animal than the city of Nashville. The team that grew Shea Weber and and groomed him into, you know, one of the league's best defensemen that we've seen in a long, long time. 
and nothing can take that away from Shea Weber. He is. He's great. He's a multi-time Olympian Norris Trophy candidate. He's a baller. He's he's gross. And if you look at his analytics and the hero charts on Own the Puck, he's still he, his 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 numbers. If you if you contrast them to PK Subban's, not as great, but it still has him as a top pairing defenseman. He's he's not like he's fallen off a cliff and he's a third pairing guy or a fourth defenseman. He's still a number two. At worst, he's still a number two defenseman. Yeah, I mean, it's look, it's it's Petretti. Petretti wanted him out, and I think, I do think there was a, a small gang of players because that's what a lot of locker rooms do. Is you know, I mean, <laughs> go back to your high school days. They they do kind of separate and they do kind of form their own groups. And there was definitely a, a cluster of players that weren't happy with PK Subban. And you know, I can't speak to that because I'm not in that locker room. But here's the thing, man. P.K. Subban wins you hockey games. He does. And Max Pacioretty is a tremendous talent. He is. But they gave Pacioretty the captaincy. And Mistake. the problem is, is that Pacioretty couldn't get a hold of that locker room. And, and really, it's Mistake. his job because Terry Ann didn't either. Terry Ann didn't do it on the ice and he didn't do it in the locker room. And so it's really Pacioretty's job to, to calm all that stuff down. And I think Pacioretty was... Every bit is involved as, as anybody else, if not more so. And that's inevitably why PK's gone. So, you know, the question becomes, what kind of captain is Max Pacioretty and what kind of locker room are they left with? Now, I think the immediate result might actually be somewhat positive. But long term, you know, that's not a very stable locker room to work with. And perhaps, no, perhaps Max is the next guy to go. It could be, but um, what was released today is Shea Weber was seen taking pictures with a Canadiens jersey with an A on it. So they're going to give Weber a letter, which, come on, if we're talking to each other, I mean, inevitable. But Weber is going to be a good leader in that room, and he did a great job leading in Nashville. So, you know, maybe he'll bring bring some, some stability into that locker room. The thing is, like, you would have wanted to bring that stability in there when PK was still there because you don't want to lose a fucking player like PK Subban. And th- my next point is Pacioretty calling the shots. Who's the one player that got along with PK Subban the best on that team? Answer me. Carey Price. Uh, who's the best player on the Montreal Canadiens? Answer me. Well, now it's Carey Price. <laughs> who's the best goaltender in the NHL when healthy? Yeah, exactly. No, you're right, man. Price. Carey Price is the most important player on the Montreal Canadiens, and he had a relationship with his number one defenseman. To the point where their little high five shit got banned at one point. We're like, you can't slap hands like that after a win. He had a relationship with his number one defenseman. They trusted each other. And you know what? And I, I've played goalie and I've played defenseman my whole life in very competitive areas. When you're a goalie, if you have that type of confidence in a defenseman, it goes a long way. And a guy like PK, he makes his mistakes. But when you're a guy that's as talented as Carey Price, you don't mind bailing him out. You don't mind bailing him out from time to time. You're you're all world, man. You're the best goalie in the world. And he's going to make mistakes, but he's also going to make ridiculous plays and help your team. And I know, I know, in my heart of hearts, I know Carey Price is hurting over that. And, I, and like people say, he has a connection with Shea Weber from British Columbia, and they played in the Olympics together. I'm pretty sure Carey Price would rather play with P.K. Subban. Yeah, well, Carey's, Carey's an all-world goalie for, for more reasons than P.K. Subban, so... I, I get what you're saying, and yeah, I think there could be some repercussions there. Uh, but ultimately, you know, 
that's the nature of the business. Players come and they go and, and friendships are made and broken. And, you know, I mean, it, the, the cycle is pretty vicious in the NHL. It, it does circle back around to, you know, what is the state of that locker room long term? And the reason that I mentioned uh, Pacioretty getting moved, potentially, if, if he's a cancer in that locker room, Shea Weber is a guy that can lead a team and has held the, the C for a long time in his career. And I think he could be the next guy to, to take over that locker room. Because look, no one is going to trade for Shea Weber. I mean, we said that before, <laughs> but that contract is ridiculous. And Shea I Weber, almost thought it was untradeable. Shea Weber is a Montreal Canadian until the end of his career. So he's got a lot of hockey left. Oh, say, yeah, say what you want about the quality of that hockey or the level of that hockey. He's got there's a lot of, left. there's a lot of hockey left in his career. There's a lot of years left on term. And he's a guy that you can pin as your captain and leader of, of your locker room. And if that's what ends up happening, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. Well, to get into the discussion, because like we said, we weren't going to talk about PK Weber for too long. What I wanted to get into was the, the top six depth. And what you just pointed out was, you know, what if they move Pacioretty in order to give Weber that leadership role? I mean, what do they got? I mean, dude, they, they've got Gallagher and they just traded for Shaw. I want to start the conversation with the wings, but really what I want to do is... Actually, no, I'll do that because we're talking about Pacioretty. Like, what this team at wing, they signed Radulov on a one-year deal at 575, which I'm not going to hate on that. Like, Radulov has put up numbers in the KHL. He's an ultra-talented guy. And on a one-year flyer, way better than the Alex Semin experiment. Alex Semin has been known to be an enigma. Even when he was with Washington, he was known for that. Radulov is known to produce pretty much everywhere he's gone. So that's fine. I don't mind the gamble. You put him on the wing, but he's not a guarantee. And then you got Pacioretty, and you have to assume they won't play him together because you need a, you need a strong scoring winger off the boards on both lines. And that gives you Gallagher and Shaw. They've got nobody else to play on the opposite side on the top six. You're talking about two guys that are probably miscast in their depth or like where they are in the depth chart in Shaw and Gallagher. Like Gallagher, he can play on the second line. That's fine. But then you got a guy like Shaw with the money he's being paid. He's probably going to play in the top six. So if you trade a guy like Pacioretty, they got nothing other than Radulov. And we can we can debate about what Gallagher and Shaw are. And like we, we, we've talked off mic that that's a redundancy, that there was no reason to bring an Andrew Shaw in when you got a guy like Gallagher. Gallagher is a twice better version of Shaw. Better deft, better hands, better touch around the net, and frankly has more balls and doesn't talk as much shit. He's, he's more of a smooth player than Shaw. Well, that's... I mean, uh, in your top six, what do you have on the wings? Other than Pacioretty. I, I got to be honest with you. I wasn't happy with the Andrew Shaw signing. I don't think that brings no. anything to the table. And no. I do think that, that Shaw is going to drop off. And, you know, you're spot on about, you know, the, the whole grit factor and toughness factor. I mean, they don't need that because they do have, like you said, they do have Gallagher. But they also have players in the system that play a similar. Like Mike McCarron. Mike McCarron's one. He's a he's a real, real big example. of Jacob Delarose. Um, but Carr as well. Car plays that yep. type of game, you know, and so there's no need to bring Shaw in. They overpaid him for sure. And I don't think at the end of the day that he's going to factor into that top Based six. Based on the depth chart, he probably is. Like, who else? That was my question. Who's going to play in that top six? Well, I actually. Brendan Gallagher has proven to hit at like some really, really impressive numbers. Like he's a he's a very no, he monster. can. But you still need one more winger. 
Yeah. Let me let me pause on Gallagher for just a second because they did do a little looking into Gallagher. Carey Price's injury last season really, really like hobbled the Habs, right? And Brendan Gallagher, we can't forget his injury was worse. His injury was it, it came at a terrible time as well. And so that in itself, like to lose Price and Gallagher for any period of time, but especially as much time as, as what they did, it really didn't give the Canadians a, a chance. Uh, he played fifty three games. No. And I, I do firmly believe that out of all the things that happened in Montreal, Gallagher's injury was the hardest felt, like secondary only to Gary Price. I, I absolutely agree. But look at his underlying numbers real quick. He's 55.9% Corsi 4, plus 5.7 relative to his teammates. And that number in itself is monstrous. Like, he yeah. he drove possession like none other. Uh, he controlled 52.8% of scoring chance and 52.9% of high danger scoring chances. He was only tied with Galchenyuk and Pacioretty for points per 60. And in terms of goals for, when he was on the ice, he blew away his competition at 62.7%. Like Gallagher, in my opinion, is a top line right winger. And I, I do think he's one of the better right wingers in the game. You know, the only thing that held him back last season was injury. And, I don't I don't disagree. And Pacioretty over on the left wing. I mean, <laughs> Pacioretty's They're great compliments to each other. His numbers speak for himself. I mean, when I say that Pacioretty might be the the next, you know, card to fall in Montreal, it's only because he can't handle the locker room. It's only because he's not the guy for the job in terms of captaincy. And it's only because he got in the way of P.K. Subban. Yep. But Pacioretty is top 24 in points per 60. And this is... At five on five over the last three years, he's a top 24 player in, in points per 60. He's tied for fourth most five on five goals with the likes of Jamie Benn and Joe Pavelski, as well as Patrick Kane. He's second only to Rick Nash in shots per 60 and just ahead of Ovechkin. And he's had four consecutive 30 goal seasons. In the lockout season, he got 15. So that put him on pace. Like the big difference in this in this top six, so like Patrick and Gallagher their mainstays, and everyone knows what they bring to the table. It's the fact that Alex Galchenyuk finally got placed down the middle. Finally. Yeah. That's that's the big transition piece is, is Galchenyuk. But in terms of the wing, you're right, man. Uh, it's it's hard once you get past Shaw. It's it's really going to come down to some of the, these younger players. Beyond Pacioretty, Gallagher, and Radulov, which we still haven't gotten to, is who else is there that can even crack that top six? It's got to be Charles Hudden, man. It's got to be. Like, there's there's no other option because Andrew Shaw is not going to be able to he keep He tore up the AHL. Yep. Second consecutive 50-point season uh, in the American mm-hmm. Hockey League. Scored 28 goals yep. and 53 points last year. Like, he can play at center or the left wing, and that's that left wing spot that I think is going to, you know, be open in the top six. And, I mean, my – my lineup assumptions are Pacioretty, Galchenyuk, and Gallagher, uh, Hudden, Plakanitz, and Radulov. And I mean, when you put it like that, it's really not that bad. No, it's not because a guy like Radulov needs someone to give him the fucking rock. And Plakanitz Pl- is that responsible two-way guy that can get him the puck. Plakanitz is not a, a, a shoot-first guy. Mm. So he is a guy that can man the middle, play both ends, because Radulov, as most Russians, don't want to be uh, discriminatory, but they do not play both ends of the floor <laughs> in basketball terms. Do not play both ends of the floor. Yeah. Uh, so Plakanitz can cover for Radulov, 
And depending on who you put him with on the other wing, you know, it'll be all right. And he can get him the puck. And it's not that bad. It's just what my point is, is like that's your last ditch option. Like whoever you put at that last wing spot, if it doesn't work out, just like last season, what's going to work out? Yeah, or if, or if there's an injury. Absolutely. Exactly. Like 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 what if Pacioretty or Galchenyuk goes down? What's going to work out? Right. You get what are you going to do? Do what you did 2 years ago? David DeHarnay's uh, magically a, a second line center again? I don't think so. David DeHarnay is going to be stapled on that third line playing with Andrew Shaw. That's what I think. Yeah. No, and I mean arguably he should be on the fourth line. I guess what this all comes around to in determining who's going to play where and with who is Michelle Terry, you know, and that was, that was the other defining point of the Canadian season is Bergevin and Terry and Terry's misuse of players and, you know, Bergevin's inability to, you know, see the problem and, and, and take care of it. Yep. And the problem was, mm-hmm. was Terry and they came out clicking and, you know, everything looked good, but, you know, Carey Price goes down, and the entire franchise uses his injury as a scapegoat for their failure, and uh, that's just not acceptable to me, man. Like, yeah, Price is the best goalie in the NHL. That's fine, but no, you shouldn't be relying on it. Not that heavily. Not that heavily. Not, not that heavily. You shouldn't be relying on it that heavily. You shouldn't need the best goalie in the world to be a complete twenty-three man roster. Mm-hmm. That's unacceptable. Yep. No, I, and you know, there was a joke about it, and Greg and Wish brought it up and I felt the same way. I think we had the conversation before they, they released that podcast is that, you know, Kerry Price ought to get the heart trophy because, <laughs> you know, you, it was obvious how much that team needed him. Yeah. But if the team, yeah. if the team can't, you know, produce at playoff rate or even just barely inside of the playoffs without, you know, their number one goalie, then obviously there's problems. But look, man, like there's no doubt about it in, in my opinion that the offense got better, you know, like they did make, they did make moves because Pacioretty is an elite level shooter. You know, I mean, he just fires. He's great. And Radulov, I mean, dude, one year at 5.75, like that's no commitment. There's zero risk here for either party. If the Canadians don't make the playoffs, if if they're, you know, heading down uh, the stretch and and they're out of it, then they can trade. They've got a trading chip. Even if it's a third-round pick, they can trade him somewhere. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it, but Rob Volman, uh, I reference him a lot. He's one of my favorites out there. Uh, he has a KHL to NHL translation chart. And Oh, yeah. I've seen these. Yeah. They're, they're pretty cool, man. You can look at them for the you know any league. But when you, when you add the duration of the NHL schedule to his KHL stat rates, uh, he could have scored an upwards of 80 points last season. Which would have placed him yeah, around that's sixth how, that's how good he in the is. NHL and led the NHL the year before with over 100 points. Now, that's just using the translation charts. But I mean, hey, you put him next to uh, Thomas Plakanitz or an Alex Galchenyuk, or I mean, dude, load up that top line power play. Like the power play was an issue, and goal scoring was an issue for the Canadians. They were 25th in, in the power play last season, but now you've probably got Galchenyuk. Pacioretty, Radulov, Weber, and, and Markov. And, that's- and now the, what I, what I was going to interject with is that's the one area that Weber is not going to be deficient in compared to P.K. Subban because Markov fed Subban for one-timers like candy. And Weber can do the same shit at 20 more miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, Weber's a so, better shooter than, than P.K. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so on the power play with Radulov, Weber might be a giant asset. And same with Radulov. Like they what the, the additions of Shea Weber and Radulov, they could be a lot deadlier on the power play as far as shooting goes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that's going to get boosted. And the, the PK actually wasn't that bad last Surprisingly. season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got Jeff Pete got Jeff Petrie out there on the PK. You probably do. <laughs> Just you probably do. I mean, Weber, you know, Weber's not that shutdown presence that everyone thinks he is. And, and Markov, Markov's really, you know, beyond tape, tape passes, like Markov doesn't have a whole lot left to offer. He plays a real cerebral. Dude, he's turning 38 this year. Yeah. And you got to wonder, you know, you got to wonder if that's it for, for Markov. You know, is Andre Markov going to retire and then, you know, where does the defense go after that? That's a good point that you bring up. And I know we weren't trying to talk about P.K. Subban, but, you know, a lot of people are trying to justify swapping Weber for, for Subban. But you look at the age of uh, of Subban and the fact that after this year, Markov's a UFA and he might retire. Like, what young defenseman do you have to lead your charge? Well, I, I think I think Bergevin and company knew that they were moving PK on draft day. And that's why they took the second defenseman in the draft at ninth overall with Mikhail Sergachev. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and try to say that, that Sergachev is, you know, a replacement level player for PK Subban. There's, there might Even not be. It's going to take a couple years, but I, I think he might actually get a stab at, at the NHL this year. I mean, he's 18, but he's real big, 6'2", 220, youngest player to earn their OHL's most outstanding defenseman award last year. You know, he can put up points, really good skater, real heady defenseman. I mean, he can shut it down. I think, you know, when we talked about the Panthers, I brought up that point where I would have liked to have seen Matheson play a little bit of time with Campbell. Markov might be that guy for a, for a young kid like Sergachev. I think if they can play Sergachev, if Sergachev is ready to play, this blue line isn't looking as awful as it did last year. Uh, do you? Do, I gotta ask you. Do you really think they're gonna play Sergachev this year, coming off the season they just had? I mean, dude, they got eight defensemen under contract on NHL deals. They do, but I don't think. I know a couple are are two way deals, but my point being is, how does he fit in? Well, I think they. I think they need his mobility. You know, I mean, look, look down, look down the. The lineup here. You've got Jeff. No, I, I'm not talking about hockey sense. I'm talking about contract sense. Like, how do they fit him in? Under the cap, you mean? Not under the cap, but the the context of what their defensive structure on the cap is. You got Weber, Markov, Petrie, MLN, and you got Bolio and Greg Patterson. Like, the, those are guys that you almost pencil in to play for him. Like, where, where, like, who, who's the odd man out? It's a fair question. But I think if, if Sergachev plays well at camp and, and plays well in, in a couple of spot starts, I think he can easily take over, you know, a, a Buelow or or a, a Pattern, especially Pattern. Like, I like Buelow, man. He, he he does have foot speed. He can handle the puck. Um, but his numbers, like, purely seem to rise and fall based, like, purely on the, on, on the talent of his pairings. Like, he played poorly with lower-level teammates – against lower uh, quality of competition, but he played much better when paired with skill guys like Markov, Subban, and Petrie. I mean, he, dude's only 23. I like what I see out of him, but really, I don't know how much he brings to the table. Like, And 
Greg Pattern especially. Like he's big, he's a physical bottom pair defenseman. He's got two seasons remaining, but I'm not I really sure I'm, he's in it for the for the long haul. I'm looking at this stuff on General Fanager, dude. The, these are one way deals. Doesn't mean they're not they're not movable, but you can't bank on that. No, you can't. And I mean, look, they've got enough bodies to to ice three full NHL defensive pairings. But I do think that Sergachev brings the skill to overtake one of those players. Like I, I don't. Yeah, think if I'm, we're be, if we're being honest, especially about especially about European defensemen coming over, they normally need a year at minimum. They don't normally just jump in right away. And that, that's my only argument or the only reason I'm questioning and talking about their context of D lineup with, with the cap and one-way contracts. Like, I just – I don't find it realistic that they put him in the NHL this year. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's 18. It would be a big step for the Canadians. But, you know, it's it's not impossible. I We've seen him do some wacky shit, though, man. I mean, look – Oh, well, yeah, like trading at, P.K. Subban. Like trading P.K. Subban. Look at, look at Jeff Petrie, man. <laughs> They lost a second and a fifth to acquire him, and then they paid him $33 million over six years. They paid him to be a stud. And, like, I like Jeff Petrie, but shouldn't they have just kept Ryan McDonough at that time? They traded, you know. Ryan McDonough for Scott Gomez? Yeah, for Scott Gomez. That 2000 draft was McDonough 12th, Subban 43rd, Pacioretty 22nd, and Yannick Weber 73rd. Like, that draft was one of the best drafts we've seen in our lifetimes for the Montreal Canadiens. Wait, 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 wait. Rewind, rewind, rewind. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. They're giving Jeff Petrie $5.5 million until 2021. Yeah. We're sitting here talking about Vincent Trocek, Riley Smith, bitching about Jason Demers, <laughs> Dan DeKaiser, and all these other fools. But my man is getting a cool 5.5. And, like, you really think about it in his time in Ed- Edmonton. Like, what has Jeff Petrie ever done? Like, that's the thing is, like, we we, we like to talk. Like, an, it's called recency bias. We like to talk about, you know, with recency bias. But you really look back at certain contracts and you think, what the shit? Like, that contract is one that I'm looking at. And I'm thinking, what the shit? Yeah. No, I mean. The, the fact of the matter is he's paid to be a top four defenseman, therefore he will be. And if you look at that lineup, the best thing he'll, that he he'll did— He'll play the minutes. He'll play the minutes. The best thing he did last <laughs> season was he really boosted Alexi Emelin, and which which is another— and Which he needs. Which is another defenseman that has come under like heavy criticism in Montreal. And like some of it's deserved, yeah. some of it's not. Like Emelin, he's hard-hitting, he's an imposing defenseman. He's got a lot of heart. He plays hard. Injuries have, have been a big problem for him in the past, but he's he is too slow. And like he needs a sound skater to pick him up. And that's kind he's, of the story with a lot of these guys in my he's, opinion. He's a lot like a Roman Polak. Like I I, I, I equate an ex, an Alexi Emelin to like Roman Polak. Right. Very similar. He can get around. He can play. Emelin but and, if you don't put if if you don't put him with the right guy, he's going to look like a fucking asshole on the ice. Well, he looked like an asshole next to Pattern last year. Like it, that was not a good enough third pairing. Like Emelin next to Barbero, Barbario, though, um, it didn't look because bad. Bar, because Mark Barbario can skate. He can, you know, and that's a guy that I mean, I saw him skate at, at training camp like many many years ago before the, he ever broke into the NHL, and like he really stood out to me. And I've always liked the guy. But when you have an opportunity to bring in a young skater like Mikhail Zergachev, then 
I I think you do it because this team this team is not looking to groom and develop long term. They're looking to win. Like the Canadians expect to win. And this sure fooled me. But this isn't the first time we've seen it, man. I mean, remember the last time around? That's how they got Alex Galchenyuk in the first place. Is they tanked? They did terribly for one year after. They, but they didn't even intentionally tank. They they were trying to win and they fucked up. Yeah, it it smells like last season to me. And then they get they get Galchenyuk out of it and terribly misuse him. And it's just now that he's coming to fruition. That's the well because they they decided to actually use him at his natural position. Yeah. Well, it's because Tarion wasn't using DNA. That's because Tarion shouldn't be their coach. No, he he shouldn't be. That's another conversation that's probably going to happen in the next hour. Let's <laughs> let's zero in on Galchenyuk just for a sec because he comes up. Oh, please, please do. That he's dude. the one bright. He's he's the one bright spot of this whole fucking diatribe we're going on right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's finally given a stab at that that first line center. But it came his last his last third to last season was ridiculous. My man was on fuego. He was on fire. Yeah. The last third of last season. But it took an injury to David Dernay on March 5th for that to actually happen. And like that's. Yeah, because they wouldn't play him where he needed to play. Mm -hmm. And once they did, they saw what it would take. And that's why, like when I was talking, like, what do they have down the middle? Are their wings too weak earlier in in our conversation here? That's me plugging him in as number number one, number numero uno center. Like, no, that's it. He's your number one center. And if you don't think so, you got a problem. Yeah. Now since he he's was drafted, play there. he was the he's the only Canadian player to score thirty outside of Max Pacioretty. Like since his draft day. Uh set personal best for himself in, you know, virtually every category. He was slotted in next to Pacioretty. But let's keep in mind though, too. He didn't have a good second top tier winger until Gallagher returned. And like that that comes exactly that circles back around to, you know, who do you have on the wing? Like you, you finally got the right guy down the middle, but you know, without Gallagher, uh it's it's tough to score. But he was a point per game down the stretch. Uh, eleven yeah, goals in his it last seven. It was exciting. Games. Yeah. The Canadians were a shit show, and I watched the Canadians down the stretch because I'm a I'm a Ben Scrivens fan unapologetically, and I was watching him play, and I was trying to I was trying to watch them because I like to watch goalies, and I was trying to see what Mike Condon had. Apparently, it's not much. Alex Galchenyuk just jumped off your screen, man. He had all the playmaking ability in the world. Yeah. He was great, and I get that early on. Like I get that the faceoff, like to be a number one center in the NHL, the faceoff's got to be a thing. The two way game's got to be a thing. Like if you're gonna give give a guy free roam in the center position to roam around the ice through the neutral zone and back to the top of the circles in the back end of the slot by your goalie, he's got to be a little bit responsible. And I get that couple the first couple years into his career that was a concern, and I understand why they put him on the wing. But at some token, it's like there's 82 games in the season. Like, why don't you shift them over to center like every third game and like try it out for a few shifts or at least on the power play? And they didn't do that. No. And it's it's stupid. But then you see other teams like a Dallas. Tyler Sagan's the number one center. He's fucking horrible on the draw, and he's not a good defensive player. Yeah, Steven Samuels. And, and I get exactly that he plays with Jason. I get that they have him playing with Jamie Ben. Jamie Ben is better on the draw than Sagan. I get they have him playing with Ben, 
But you got a guy like Pacioretty. <laughs> it's, you can't say, well, they, they, they put Sega in there because they have Ben. Well, Pacioretty's no fucking slouch either. Like, it's not like he has bad wingers to play with. He can he can play with Gal. You can put Galchenik there and play him with Gallagher and Gallagher and Pacioretty. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the number one center isn't the greatest on draws or great defensively. Like, that's when you rely. If you're if you're a GM that builds your team the right way, that's when your second and third lines. We know this from being Red Wings fans because we're used to our second and third lines being very stout defensively. Right. Right. That's when you build a team that way. But if you don't, then that's when you run into a problem. You should have your skill on the top line. They should be playing the top minutes. Even if they don't play that well defensively, that's what it should be. Well, that's the thing, though, too, is is Terry Ann was insistent on taking Galchenyuk out of that top six. When he played down the middle in the bottom six, his possession went, you know, it was up in the 60% range. But then... When he played left wing next to Darnay, it went down to 49%, you know? And so he's really just got to to give him the reins. I mean, dude, Galchenyuk, I was looking at the time on ice. He played he played less NHL minutes this season than he did last season. He averaged under 13 minutes. And like, that's comparative. That's right in line with a guy like Sven Andergetto and Dale Weiss. And that's below Thomas Fleischman and David Darnay. Which is garbage. It's awful. You, you can't develop you know, a, a super talented player when he's not on the ice. You need ice time, man. He needs to play. He has talent. The stupid thing is when he was drafted, everybody saw it too. Mm-hmm. It's not like it was a secret. Like, oh, this guy might be good. He might not be good. No, everybody knew how talented he was. But like I said, that goes back to a conversation right before we brought him up about their management and coaching predicament. Yeah, it's not good. It's definitely not I mean, good. Tarion's the same guy that got kicked out of Pittsburgh, and then Bilesma swooped in and won a cup. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure. You know, it's it's obviously going to take another failed season for anything to drastically change. You know, and I do think that provided Price is healthy. I do think this roster is good enough to make the playoffs. And, you know, unfortunately for Canadians fans, that might mean that Terry Ann and Bergevin stay through the end of, of the season. And look, man, they, they missed out on, on the good available coaches, especially Bruce Boudreaux. Now, had Bruce been able to come in and coach Pacioretty or coach Galchenyuk or P.K. Subban for that matter, then this team could have been really, really good. But Boudreaux would have loved Subban. No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, I, I could see this team just just playing well enough because I do actually like the top six. As long as Andrew Shaw is not a part of it, I like the top six. And the bottom as six. As long as he's not a part of it. Yeah. No, really. I know. I, I agree. I just, that's funny because, like, when I was making my notes for the show today, the thing was like, man, like, as I was writing it down, it's like, I only see him playing in the top six because of the money and what they have. Like, I think they're going to overplay him. But well, <laughs> now but he, I, I agree he with is, you. I agree with you. He is Terrian's type of player, and I I could see that happening. I could definitely see that happening. Um, thankfully, Thomas Bukanitz is good enough, you know, to to take over uh, that defensive ability. And and really, I mean, Thomas Bukanitz. He's he's one of the best number number two 
centers in the league, and he's been played for a long time as a number one center. But if you can have Thomas Buchanan as your second line center, you're doing real good. I mean, he's he's excellent two way. Like he he's just the perfect number two man. And I love that turtleneck he wears. Best turtleneck in hockey. But he's you know strong in the faceoff. He's an excellent excellent playmaker. And the fact that he's actually got somebody to to dish the puck off to. He's not a big points guy, but if he's got a guy like Radulov or Pacioretty or or Gallagher, one of the three, to his wing all season long, then you know he'll he'll contribute for sure. And really, that bottom six, it's not that bad. I mean, Dayerne, I feel I do feel bad for Dayerne, just like I feel bad for Shea Weber. He's the punching bag in the analytics community. Everyone zeroes in on him, and really, it's it's Ann's fault once again because he he mishandled him he misused him and he put the spotlight on him in Montreal and that's not fair to David Darren he's he's not that player he's not a top six center um but young players like Sven Andrighetto I liked what I saw from him last season Daniel Carr looks good you've got Tori Mitchell down there you've got Philip Deneau that's another casualty of the Hawks like Deneau is a really really stout defensive center that can play wing same with Tory Mitchell. He's got some wheels. Uh, Carr is, you know, a much less skilled version of Brendan Gallagher. And Sven Andrighetto, I mean, he was up and down in his rookie, rookie season. But, like, he's really versatile, man. Great hands. He can play any position. He provides secondary scoring. I, I, I did find a couple interesting things on uh, Andrighetto. He played on all four lines last season. There was absolutely no linemate stability. But he improved everyone's course for one playing with. Them. The problem is, is that Terrian doesn't know how to use him. And this is probably beyond Galchenyuk. Like when you, you look deeper into Terrian's misuse of players, this is a perfect example. Some of his most productive games saw him taken off the top line and placed on the fourth line mid-game. Like games where he was scoring two points in the game, he's, he's removed from the top line and, and sent down. And like we've talked about top top six types being forced into the wrong mold and it not working. And it's just another great example. Like Galchenyuk's not a third line center. Dayerne is not a first line center. And Sven Andrighetto is not a fourth line player. Like he's just got to handle these players better. And if he does, then I think there's a, a, a decent amount of offense and defense spread throughout these, these 12 forwards that this could be a competitive hockey team. So what, you're basically saying that a coach should uh, uh, put his uh, resources in a position to succeed? That's kind of the idea, yeah. And he doesn't do very well at that. No. <laughs> no. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, I know it's kind of a turn from what you said. I kind of wanted to look at a guy they lost and a guy they gained. And compare their numbers because we're talking about, you know, Andrew Shaw might potentially play in the top six. And like given Terrian's track record, that's what I had in my notes, man. I firmly believe they're going to based on his experience, cup winning experience and, and his salary. I, I firmly believe they're going to shoehorn him in there somehow, at least to start the season or at times or like you just said, mid game, like they're going to try to shoehorn him in there. But a guy they did lose was Lars Eller. Mm-hmm. 
And I want to talk about Lars Eller versus Andrew Shaw. Like you gave up, you gave up to get Andrew Shaw. You traded for Andrew Shaw and you traded away Lars Eller. I want to talk about those two guys because you talk about center depth. Lars Eller can play the wing. He can play center. And Lars Eller is a guy that can play in the bottom six and a guy that has shown he can play in the top six or on at least a second line at times if need be. He's actually got some skill to his game. And Shaw is not nearly as versatile. Uh, goals per 60, first assist per, uh, first assist per 60, and primary points per 60, Lars Eller destroys Andrew Shaw. Shot generation, shot suppression, he destroys him. Like, it, it, he's a better player. And I don't know why you went out of your way to get rid of a guy like Lars Eller and bring in a guy like Andrew Shaw. And Lars Eller comes cheaper. Yeah, no, Lars, Lars Eller was an impact player for the Canadiens. Uh, yeah, and he's a versatile player. Yeah, his, You can play him anywhere. His successful zone exits were, were fantastic last year, and his possession was, was really decent as well. Like He he was one of their, their better two-way forwards. And, yeah, Shaw is no replacement for, for Lars Eller. And the, no. The cap hit's terrible. I mean, it's just another prime example of the, the management just mismanaging the cap and, and their assets. Um, I don't think – Lars Eller was was long for that that organization. It didn't seem, even though his underlying numbers were really good, it didn't really seem like it was going to be a fit. But when you look up and down this roster, you can say that for so many of these players. And the the problem is from the top. That's that's the problem. It can't be. I mean, I guess we're overstating it, but it, it can't be stated enough that you know the only way this team is going to succeed long term is if Bergevin and Terrian are gone. And the reason that Bergevin can go out and make a move like, you know, the PK for Weber one is because he knows that by the time this contract really hurts them, by the time Andrew Shaw's he's contract really hurts them, he's going to be gone. It, it doesn't just like a coach, him. just like a coach, your, your shelf life, it's low. Yep. So the, the, yep. the, the worst days are ahead. You know, Kerry's not always oh, going to yeah. be this dominant. So the the worst days are are coming for the Montreal Canadiens, um, you know maybe excluding Alex Galchenyuk and maybe uh, they'll probably trade him because he's too eccentric or some shit. <laughs> yeah, I I certainly hope not. Are there any more aspects to this to this roster that you want to look at? Any more particular yeah, players? Actually, and I'm glad that it came right at the end. Um, the one thing I do like that they did. Is because as we saw last year, as Carey Price went down, and they had no suitable backup. I get that Gallagher was out, and you know they had Ben Scrivens, Mike Condon, uh, just didn't work out. And I'm I'm a big believer in Ben Scrivens. I think he's a good goalie. I really do. I like Ben Scrivens. I don't think his numbers in L.A. and in Toronto were an accident. I think he's a good goalie. But just Montreal was a shit show, and I think he got caught up in that. Brought into it late in the season when they were way he when they brought him into the fold, it, they were way out of a playoff spot. Imagine being a player being traded to a team when they're way out of a playoff spot. I mean, it's not good for anybody. Uh, but they did bring in Al Montoya, and I'm not going to sit here and tout Al Montoya and sing his praises, but I will I will definitely say that Al Montoya is a more viable backup goalie than Ben Scrivens or Mike Condon. Yeah, it's an upgrade. It's, it's an upgrade. It's definitely and upgrade. it's not a great upgrade. I know it's not a giant thing to talk about, but it's an upgrade. 
It's an upgrade. Al Montoya, Al Montoya could play. Don't you feel though that if there's one goalie that should have been there to to take his spot is actually the guy that got Montoya's job. I understand they have Carey Price. I get that. And I understand that he's going to be their starter for a long time. But injuries to goalies, especially these types of injuries, can be damning. And just because Carey Price has been the best goalie in the league doesn't necessarily mean that – I mean, look, what if he comes out next season and gets injured right away? I mean, you're you're totally effed. You've got to have a guy that can – they can handle starters minutes. And I do like Al Montoya. I've always liked that guy. I always have. But if that happens, then this team needs to be blown up to a a different type of extent, because I don't think Montoya is the guy that can come in and, and, you know, save the season. Um, Well, it's not that man. It's not that if, if, if the Canadians would have had a backup goalie of stature last year, they could have given Carey Price some rest. Like a lot of injuries uh, happen because of overplaying. Now, had they had a viable backup goalie, they could play him one every three games. But who was their backup goalie last year? Yeah, and they never did pull the trigger to to get one. I mean, a, a exactly. And so, the, like, and I get that. And like, you can say, like, I, I get your point, saying like maybe you. What you're saying is they could have got a James Reimer, a guy that is a borderline starter that could just come in and start. And I get that. But with Al Montoya, they get a guy that at least every one out of every three games, Al Montoya can play a game or two out of three if you need him to and give Carey Price some rest and make sure he doesn't get hurt. Right. Yeah. And you're confident in his ability to play because Al Montoya is a good goalie. He was he was great for Florida last year. Yeah, no problem. He's good. He's a good goalie. He's not a starting goalie, but if you need him to play a third of a season, which if you're talking about a two season, rounded up to ninety, you're talking about twenty six games. If you need him to play twenty six games next year, no problem. He can do that and keep your guy fresh and keep him from getting hurt. But Montreal didn't have that luxury going into last season. I think that you know, in in fairness, I think that they thought. They may have had it in Mike Condon because when he first came in, his first handful of games, he he played he played just just fine, but he quickly quickly dropped off like real quickly. And well, with a guy with a guy that young, that's the problem. Like when you're evaluating goalie uh, goaltending talent, younger guys need more ice time. That's I mean the the best thing for a young goalie is reps. That's the only thing that makes you better. You don't get better sitting on the bench. A guy like Mike Condon, a tall guy, unproven, his best bet was to start in the AHL for them. There was no reason he should have been the backup goalie to Carey Price. Carey Price is going to play 75% of the games at least. So what does that do for Mike Condon's development? Jack shit. Yeah, no, they they pretty much trashed his career. Exactly. Jack shit. That does jack shit for, for him, man. Like, they needed a backup. It didn't even it didn't have to be a veteran. And that's exactly like Al Montoya. Bring in a guy like Al Montoya. And I know he's a couple years removed from it, but like a Jason LaBarbera, like a guy that you don't feel you're going to lose a game if you play him like 20 games a year. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. That's all you need. Just a guy that can play a handful of games. And for, for some reason, your goalie gets hurt. He might be able to play. And... 
if a guy like Mike Condon was like the first half of the year, if he was already in the AHL marinating, playing 42 games the first half in the AHL, he could come up and then assume your starting role. But if he's your backup right off the bat and like not getting much ice time, that doesn't fare well for him. Yeah, the the advancement they made in, in scoring is, is big in my book, just with uh, the natural development and finally allowing Galchenyuk to play down the middle. Uh, Pacioretty and Radulov, I mean, potentially, when you've got Pacioretty, Radulov, and Galchenyuk, and Gallagher, potentially you've got four 30-goal scorers in your top six. So it's it's I, I think that's enough of an improvement on the offensive side of the puck on the defensive side of the puck. It's obvious that PK is, you know, a better it's defender thin. than, than Weber. Uh, but offensively, once again, Weber, I think is going to bring it, especially on the power play. And I really do think that it's going to come down to, you know, some of these younger players coming in and, and taking over those spots on the blue line, Darren Dietz, Noah Yulson, like there's guys in the system that can come in, and play, they've just got to find a way to, you know, shuffle out some of these these guys that aren't that solid, like Greg Patteron. Let's see, man. Without any caveats, is this team a playoff team next season? Oh, if Carey Price stays healthy, no all caveats. Year. <laughs> I know. You just said that, and I walked right into it. Fuck. <laughs> no. No? Nope. I thought about this for so long. Can, can I explain my position Yeah, real yeah. Quick? I say no because you said no caveats. And when you say caveat, that means I can use it to my positive in my prediction. <laughs> the reason that I say no is because I don't think their top six will stay healthy because Gallagher has shown a propensity for injury and Carey Price has shown a propensity for in- injury. And I'm, I know you're saying no caveats, but I just I don't trust their roster to stay healthy. And as we just broke down for the past hour, they do have enough on paper. I'm still shaky about the D. But they do have enough on paper if Carey Price plays at his all-pro level that they could make the playoffs. But you can't take an NHL team playing 82 games and trust that it's just going to work out the whole year. So based on that, no. Because if everything doesn't go right, they fuck up. If Radulov goes down with injury, if Pacioretty goes down with injury, or Gallagher, or sorry, not Gallagher, uh, Galchenyuk, if any one of those guys goes down for any, any extended time, they're fucked. Mm-hmm. They're fucked. They're fucked. Even with Price and Net, they're fucked. And it's just okay. Then no, they're not making the playoffs. And you can bank on that for like look at Tampa, Stamkos, and they still they still make the Cup final almost with a guy like Stamkos going out. But they're the type of team, Montreal, that if they have a key injury or two, they they're not going to make the playoffs. And you can almost pencil in that injury. It's going to happen to every team. Every team goes through an injury. So no, it's no. All right. Fair enough. How about you? I have battled with this. I've, I've thought about it a lot. Um, I'm going to say yes. I'm actually going to say yes. And I'll go ahead and <laughs> and use my, my, my reasonings here. Um, I think if there's a severe injury to Carey Price or Brennan Gallagher, or you name it, 
and the team starts to drop off dramatically. I think two consecutive seasons or a full season plus a quarter or a half of turmoil, I think will be enough for them to get Terry Ann off the bench. And if that happens, then I think a better coach, you know, maybe an unknown coach to us, could step in and get that team clicking and play to their strengths. Like a John Torchetti? Yeah, I mean, you name it, really. I mean, you get... No, I'm saying like what John Torchetti did for the Wild. Yeah. Like they thought they were out of the playoffs, John Torchetti came in, and they made the playoffs. Right, exactly. And I think if you play to this team's strengths, which is, you know, going to have to be heavily reliant on offense, uh, especially especially in their top six, but also in, in younger players like Hudden and Andrew Ghetto, uh, to come in and contribute, then I think they could score their way into a playoff berth. And really the biggest reason beyond injuries and beyond, you know, what they have in terms of offensive depth is the fact that I think there's at least three teams that made the Eastern Conference last season that will be out this season. And I think Montreal will benefit from that, and I think they'll take somebody's spot. Because when Could I be. when I look at some some teams that did make the playoffs last year, and I look at the moves they made, and I look at their roster, and I, I line them up, uh, Detroit Red Wings, New York Islanders, I see, you know, New York Rangers, I see some teams that potentially could be dropping out, and that's just going to propel a team like Montreal into the postseason. It could happen. It could. Uh, last podcast, there were a couple of signings that we didn't get to, that we wanted to get to. You still want to get to those? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. You <laughs> you told me, hey, you know, we never talked about Braden Shen. I said, yeah, we did. And uh, I went and back we and didn't. checked and, and we didn't. So, yeah. I, Asshole. <laughs> for any of you that might be wondering what happened to, um, you know, signings on July 1 or, you know, some trades that happened around then. There were a ton of them, and we didn't cover them all, but we decided that we would kind of hit those when we covered these teams, you know, when we got to them. But in terms of, like, recent happenings, we're trying to keep up with that as far as player signings and, and trades and things like that. So, Well, on the, on the last podcast, Kendall had gone on vacation, and a handful of our that was right in the the heart of the arbitration phase so there was a lot of signings that happened due to the arbitration window and so that's why we brought them up yep yep and safe to say i missed a couple of them so it's nice to revisit quite a couple talk about it so yeah brayton shen i mean prior to the new year he had yet to have that breakout season that's long been awaited of him but from january 1 shen scored 44 points in 46 games and therefore earned a five-year by $5.125 million contract. What you think he's about like that? He's like a upgraded uh, Brandon Sutter to me. Like he's a he, – for some reason in my mind, I, I, I preconceive him as a third-line center. And the money doesn't equate. You know, like you don't pay a third-line center 5.125. You just that's, – that's not the right money. The, the one thing I can say is he puts up the numbers consistently – like 13 14 41 points 14 15 47 points 15 16 59 points like he's getting better you can pencil him in as a 45 point player but most good second line centers in the league are not 45 point players or if they are they show a little more offensive upside but he's got a lot of grit to his game he's great two way 
I don't know, man. I just, I don't know why, but I just, I think he's a classic, like your Jordan Stahl type in his early days with Pittsburgh. Like he's a great, great third line center. I mean, do I sound weird for saying that? Only because I don't think he's going to end up being a center. Like considering his, considering his final points total, it's right on the money. Like the comparables are Schwartz at five by five, uh, Smith at five by five. Palmieri at five by four point six and Hoffman at four by five point one. Like in terms of his actual final point production, it's right on the money. But forty forty five points gets you five point two. That's here's the thing, man. We got to ask. You know, is Braden Shen really a point per game player? And like, no, he's he's not a point per game player. And that's down the stretch from January one. That's where he collected forty four of his points. You know, in in forty six games and like. Shen's second half, or at least from from January one, like he shot at a ridiculously high shooting percentage and a career high personal shooting percentage of twelve point oh seven at five on five. And the other red flag is his PDO. His PDO was egregiously high at one hundred two point nine. And the big issue with with me with Shen is like he doesn't drive possession. He never ever has. He relies on more skilled possession driving players to to do the work for him. And that's where exactly. he generated those points on a line with, with Claude Giroux and Wayne Simmons. You know, the trio collected the highest five-on-five five line production at, at 35 points last season. I mean, on the power play, that's the one big thing. The power play, he did he did make a, a big step. But once again, his shooting percentage was 20%, you know? like That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And the season before, it was 11.11. On the year. Which is more relative, right? If you if you look at the underlying numbers, man, like at best he's a he's an okay second line player or good second line player. Mm-hmm. And I know I was talking about center earlier because that's his natural position. Yeah, no, it it is. He's just not developing as such, you know. And I get that, but I I, I was speaking in terms of if he did develop as that, which he should. He was a great center in junior. And that's and, that's the only problem. If Shen had developed, they need a center. Yeah, if Shen had developed into a in, into a legitimate second line center, like capable of driving possession and generating offensive chances himself, you know, the Flyers would have benefited more from him because right now it's Sean Couturier, and Sean Couturier is like the perfect number three. He's yeah, he is the number three. Too bad they couldn't have a great number two and then have Shen and Couturier and have that down the lineup because that'd be nasty. If they could find like the right second line center, like a it's what I'm saying, like an Artem Anisimov type in their top yeah. six, like Chicago did, yeah. then they would be just fine. They'd be great. Oh, what if they would have kept Sam Gagne? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. didn't mean for that to slip out. Uh, I mean, it's true. If you look at the underlying numbers, it's it's true. He Sam Gagne drives possession. Sam Gagne drives great possession, and he's great on the power play. The only problem is, is like that top line eats up so much of their cap. Like they've got Giroux, Simmons, and Shen. Ga- Ga- Gagne signed for like six hundred k. Yeah, <laughs> but then on the, the second line, you know, Jacob Voracek. You talk about possession driving, like. We, in our last podcast, I was struggling to, to come up with his name for whatever reason, but we were talking about Drew and compared to, to Kane and those possession-driving wingers. And Jacob Voracek is the like best, over the last five years, the best possession-driving winger in the NHL. So Not surprising. No, not at all. 
So, I mean, if you've got Shen, Giroux, and Simmons clicking on your top line, and you've got Voracek on your second line, which can, you know, pretty much do it all, um, if you could get that that right center down the middle, then they'd be good. But I'm not sure Shen's going to be it. Um, the contract itself is not terrible, terrible, but I, I'm not the, really the, sure he's going to work up The term it. makes you say that. The only reason you're saying that is because of the term. Yeah, yeah. If you would have looked at all these other deals flying around, if it was a five or six year deal, you would have you would have been the first in line saying, "Yeah, I don't know about that." He's he's young enough, you know, and and he's young enough for four years his, isn't awful. Yeah, the Flyers do need his skill set, but you know he's not he's not what he was through the second half of the season. Like Flyers fans need to temper their expectations. Yeah, he he was he was shooting and performing at a way above bar. Way above bar. That's the concern. It's like, and then who's going to be their number two center? Yeah, I, I like a lot of the things that the Flyers are doing, um, especially on the blue line. They, they've got the Hextall's made some so great moves on the blue line. So yeah, I, I'm, and you know, that organization. It seems like whoever is is leading the charge is a really it's a really aggressive market. And I do think that they'll they'll try to sweep in and grab a, a second line center in the future if they can't move Shen to that spot. Um, and if they do, you know, look out. That top six is going to be ridiculous. And then the other guy is a blue liner and Matt Dumba. Wild take care of their last RFA by signing him to two years at 2.55 per season. The seventh overall pick in 2012. He had a career year with 10 goals and 26 points in 81 games. How do you feel about Dumba? I like Dumba, man. Off mic conversations, like I, I, you knew what I was saying. Like uh, when Tampa was in uh, turmoil and they didn't know what to do about John Druan before the before the deadline, uh, we had heard the rumors about a potential Dumba Druan swap, and you knew I was on board. I was like, "Go for it! If you're Tampa, go for it, man. You can throw Dumba on that blue line." And get rid of a guy that's a headache and a problem. And I will easily say that I can put my foot in my mouth because the way John Drouin played in the playoffs. And it's not that I didn't know that John Drouin could play that way. I knew it. Most people knew it. It's just would he stop being a prima donna and stop being a bitch about it and, and do it. And he did it. So if you're Tampa Bay, you're glad you didn't trade him because now he's focused now he's good. Now he's ready to go, and he's totally fine with playing. Dumb is one of those players, those young players, that you can honestly say is exciting to watch. Like he's Exactly. He's an extremely good skater. He can rush the puck, and I love the fact that he can deliver those like big open ice hits. You know, exactly. For, for a young player. It's a rare combination. Yeah, to have such good hands and offensive upside and have that, that – mean streak to his game like he's, he's yeah a really exciting player to watch i do love that man like he's not afraid to throw the hit i have seen a few highlights of him going for a big hit and missing completely he does <laughs> get caught like he makes his mistakes there's no doubt about that but he's but it's exciting mm-hmm. it's it's fast hockey yeah his, his his really his only other fault is on the power play you know like he's so gifted offensively but it seems like his shots get blocked all the time like he just can't find those open lanes it's like when we were talking about P.K. Subban versus Mark Weber. Like, Weber can find those lanes and just bomb it in. And, you know, P.K. really struggled with that last season. Not that Dumbo really, you know, stacks up at this point in his career, but what you expect to see from Dumbo is is offense. And, you know, it's not been – 
quite as much as what I expected from him, you know, 26 points at this juncture in his career, but I think it's coming. And I think, I think Boudreaux is going to signal that. Yeah, Boudreaux's a big part in that. And to be honest, this past season was his only full season. In 14-15, he only played 58 games. And before that, it's nothing. You know what I mean? He hasn't played much of a full season in the NHL. Yeah. Other than last year. And then you bring in a guy like Boudreaux, and I'm pretty confident you'll see an improvement in his numbers. Boudreaux's going to know how to use him. Same with a guy like Jared Spurgeon. I'm a huge fan of Jared Spurgeon. Like, those two guys on your blue line, and giving Matt Dumba two years at 2.5 is no risk. There's no risk. No. It's totally fine. It's 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 a great bridge deal at his age. He's very young. Very great bridge deal at his age because he's shown it. He's shown the flashes. And with a guy like Boudreaux and, like, the way Jared Spurgeon emerged this last year, and then you got depth guys, like, young guys like Marco Scandella, like, they're going to be fine. Yeah, the the only issue, though, the, the Wild have 2.2 left in cap space. And I might have been willing to go a little bit longer for a little bit higher of term. And I think it would have been worth it because looking at their general manager, uh, Ryan Sutter, Jonas Brodin, Jared Spurgeon, and Marco Scandella are all signed through 2019, 2020, and they consume $21 million in cap space. What's going to happen here is it's going to be very difficult to sign him to a $4 million contract when this deal runs up. And I do think that Boudreaux is going to you know, get a hold of him and get him producing offensively. And we know maximize dollars of defensemen fetch. So yep. the only thing that the wild can hope for is that they can, you know, a move one or B lose one in expansion, which isn't very appetizing considering the fact that they've been building this blue line for quite a while now. Well, dude, it's also not a secret. They've been, they, there's been talks that they've, they've been trying to trade Brodeen for two years. Right. So they could easily trade Brodeen and solve the problem. It's Brodeen or Dumba. And Brodeen has to They've have a good They've been talking about season. it for a couple of years. They have been, but, but Brodeen didn't have a good enough year last year to really draw a lot of attention. So they need or Brodeen. Or the reason to trade him. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's uh, let's look relative to his teammates. I did, I did take a little bit of a dive into, you know, how does Dumba stack up against that that top four here's a three-year average five on five he's first in goals four percentage relative to teammates second to Sutter in points per 60 second in shots four percentage relative to teammates and his possession numbers points towards the top three within the team it's all good man like his underlying numbers are all all good he's got his flaws there's no doubt about that but like when you compare him to these other guys he is the perfect second pairing slash power play quarterback. And I, I think they've got to do whatever they can to, to keep him long-term because I think he's a, a core you know, part of this organization. Okay, so, so let me ask you, if it comes down to dealing Brodeen and keeping Dumba, would you deal Brodeen to keep Dumba? Yeah, yeah, I probably I agree. would. I agree because uh, a guy like Brodeen will probably get you more on the trade market. The guy that I would actually try to move at this point is Scandella. He's not going to get you much, though. I get it. And like I, he, Spurgeon, and Dumba, they're very similar players. I would try to get rid of that contract, too. But you're not going to get much in return. But if you trade Brodeen, I mean, come on, man. Adam Larson did get Taylor Hall. 
I think Boudreaux stepping in there is going to make a big difference. And what I would do is is focus on that defensive group and, you know, really just try to groom them all and then see what you have at the end of the day, because they're, or the majority of them are locked up long-term. You know, you've got, you've got time, but you've got to figure it out here in the next season, season and a half. I wouldn't rush to, to move either one of them at this point, because I don't feel like the wild are close enough to making a big showing in the postseason. Like the, there's not much about that offense that impresses me. I'm not impressed with the team down the middle. Uh, they do have some good young pieces, but you've got to play to your strengths. And the strength right now is is their defensive groups. And uh, I would I would take my time to develop them. I wouldn't like to to see them move any of those guys right away. You know, for an impact player on offense, because I don't think whatever they get back is going to be enough to to drive them to success in the postseason. No. I agree. I agree. I am I am excited about Bruce Boudreaux, though. I really am excited about, about what he's going to do for that team. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to look at, you know, the the all the raw numbers and see exactly what his impact was on that team from a year ago. I think it's going to be good. Me too. Uh, before we close it out, I do want to say that I did find myself listening to a lot of uh, Montreal Talk podcasts. Pretty decent podcast. Why? Because I, I I took a lot of points from from their show. Um, another resource that I used for a lot of this data was Habs Eyes on the Prize, it's SB Nation blog. There's a lot of great writers on there uh, that that made a lot of this research and and work a lot easier on myself. You know, referencing these players and the types of seasons that they had, as well as these these prospects coming up. But you know, look, man, we're we're trying to do a podcast and we're trying to talk about hockey and. When I find a podcast trying. that does talk about something that I'm interested in or trying to research, it's helpful. And uh, I do want to say that the Montreal Hockey Talk podcast does a good job. You know, with the Panthers, we we did recently, there's a podcast called Why Hockey Podcast. They're very Panthers and Flyers-centric. Those guys help me out a lot in terms of evaluating, especially prospects, because they know that team really, really deep. And then with Anaheim, there's a couple as well. Anaheim Calling and Ducks and Pucks are both great podcasts. I do recommend, you know, if you're listening to our show, pop over there and listen to those guys as well because they're really good at what they do. Um, so I, I just wanted to get that out there. You know, it's, it's yes, we know a lot about hockey. We know a lot about these players. But when we're trying to, you know, dig up all these underlying numbers and advanced statistics and look at their prospects and things, we use you know, other people's work too, to, to research it. And we're teaching you anything about any of these players. Um, you're using us. Uh, I think it's worth, it's worth mentioning people that we lean on, uh, for our information. And just wanted to give a shout out to those guys. Here's the thing, man, these original six, and I don't even want to phrase it as original six, but these, these hockey mecca markets, and they need to do well for the league to succeed. Absolutely, Montreal is very much in that conversation, just like Toronto. So is Boston. So is Boston. Boston's not going to do well. Toronto's not going to do well. Montreal's not going to do well. They're all going to suck ass. Look, I've personally have never been the, the biggest Canadiens fan, but I'm. You know, we've said it before, and and it's true. We're we're hockey fans, and. I do. Absolutely. I do want to see Montreal competitive. There are certain parts about this team that that I'm excited about. And there are certain parts about this team that I am very, very interested in. I'm going to pay close attention to the Canadians this season. It was 
one of those teams last year that was real easy to, to dismiss once they once it became apparent how poorly they were going to finish. It was a team that was easy to, to dismiss and, and kind of turn off. This season, going to pay real close attention because this is the point. This is the, the point where they're either going to turn the, the front office around and the coaching staff around and get the most out of these young players and their elite level franchise goalie. I mean, there's only so long that Carey Price can win a cup. Look at Lundqvist. Lundqvist might not ever get a cup. It's not Lundqvist's fault. Now is the time that they need to get this turned around. I don't think it's impossible. And I, I do think that the PK uh, ordeal was a setback long term. But look, man, oh, yeah. by the end of Shea Weber's contract, we're talking about a different <laughs> Well, you better be. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this up. 